This episode of The Crux is brought to you by the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Good food feeds the heart and soul, and sharing a meal together has the power to unite people from diverse backgrounds as one family, one community, and one people. This is the power of Feast for Freedom. Come together as a community and celebrate the food, culture, and stories of refugees and people seeking asylum while raising vital funds for the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Register as a host for Feast for Freedom this February and come together with friends, family and community over a shared meal cooked from delicious food and recipes gifted by refugees. For more information, head to the link in the show notes or visit www.feastforfreedom.org.au. Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing the double standards for women in politics following the Barnaby Joyce saga from this week some worrying research on women's mental health and why women are hesitant to apply for higher return and more challenging jobs. Thank you for listening. We're recording this episode of The Crux on the 15th of February. My name is Tala Lambert and I'm joining you from Bundjalung Country and I'm joined by Women's Agenda's senior journalist, Olivia Cleal. Hey, Liv. Hey, Tala. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, as always. Um, I think this is the first time that we've recorded a podcast together, so this is all very exciting for me. This is so exciting for me as well. (laughs) How nice. How nice. Um, Okay, so look, we've got quite a bit to get through today. So do you want to start with your win for this week? My win this week, I reported on this a couple of days ago. I thought it was such a great story. It's a story on a 92-year-old woman who holds the record as the oldest female water skier in the world. She gave an interview with KSL TV recently about the record. Take a listen. Before I get in the water, I get butterflies. It's the air flowing and, and the exhilaration. It's just a very fun, exciting sport. The way she found out was really sweet as well. They were at a Christmas family gathering and... Her granddaughter, Becca, surprised her by presenting her with the certificate from Guinness World Records. Our granddaughter, Becca, thought, you know, grandma, grandma's kind of old. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if she would qualify for Guinness. Actually, I'm still playing tennis twice a week and, and I'm, love wa- I'm doing a water aerobics in the, in the winter. If you have a desire to do something, whatever it is. And whatever your age, don't give up. And the lesson is just keep trying. I thought this was such a great story. Um, I've never water skied before in my life. I just can't <laughs> imagine how bad I would be at it. So <laughs> I, I know this, was, this, would, this is just such an incredible achievement from a 92-year-old woman and I, I just love stories like this. Oh, me too. It was so good. And the pictures of her are just so joyful. But yeah, what an absolute powerhouse. It reminds me of Dorothy Hoffner, the 104-year-old yes. cargo woman who skydived and had actually just broken the Guinness World Records as the oldest person to ever jump from a plane. She did pass away quite soon after that event. Not, I don't think it was related, but I just, it was such an amazing feat. And these women are such crazy inspiration. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I love hearing stories like this. I feel like it's what everyone needs to read in amid all of the other 
hectic and devastating news that we are being dealt with at the moment. So loved it, loved it, loved it. My win this week is also crazily inspiring. So Australian surfer Molly Picklam scored the first women's perfect 10 at Pipe Masters this week. So the 21-year-old nailed the perfect score of her career in a semi-final win over local Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, which was widely rated as one of the best ever women's heats on the championship tour. Molly said, I feel like for me personally, there's no more fitting place than Pipe to give me my first 10. I'm just so happy. 10 points, it's hard to come by. And a lot of other surfers that were there to witness Molly's incredible achievement, like West Australian surfer Flick Palmatier said it was a jaw-dropping ride. She said it was absolutely insane and it was such a technical thing for her to do and it was just beautiful to watch. So I really love watching the stories that are coming out of women surfing and there's been so much momentum in recent years and women really rallying to be given the chance to surf at pipe, but also, you know, just the push for equality in that sport and the the sheer kind of like impressiveness of those women and the the drive of them is really incredible. But yeah, awesome to see New South Wales surfer Molly Picklam come away with that this week. Yeah, I think US surfer Caitlin Simmers said it best when she finished her surf, got out of the water and said this to reporters. Katie, you took it down. Lexus Pipe Pro Champion presented by Yeti. Congratulations. Uh, Pipelines for the fucking girls. That's all I have to say. Pipeline is for the fucking girls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Okay, should we move on to story number one for this week? Do it. All right, so over the weekend, footage posted by the Daily Mail was quickly distributed by many Australians showing Deputy Leader of the National Party, Barnaby Joyce, sprawled on the ground next to a planter box in popular Canberra precinct, well known for its plentiful bars and pubs, Braddon. I'm sure everyone's seen the footage, uh, (laughs) but for a recap, Joyce is filmed having a phone conversation with his wife while uttering explicit language referring to himself. The Nationals deputy admitted to drinking prior to the incident, suggesting that a cocktail of a prescription drug mixed with booze led to certain things happening. (laughs) (laughs) He said what happened on Friday night was a big mistake and there's no excuse for it. On Wednesday, Nationals leader David Littleproud told the ABC the party has asked him to take personal leave. It's up to Barnaby now if he wants to take that time, but we strongly encourage him to do that. So that I had comfort that he could he could continue to contribute uh, constructively to the Australian people. So Little Proud says he and the party are there for Barnaby on account of his family circumstances and personal issues. But when this all happened, when the video surfaced, I and I'm sure many others couldn't help but think, what if it were a female politician? And Tala, I know that you had the same thought. You wrote a great op-ed on this one. What did you think? I did feel the same. Look, I actually copped quite a bit of flack for my op-ed and that's okay because, you know, opinions sometimes are not favourable. But what I said was that Barnaby Joyce is almost untouchable, I think, in Parliament. He gets away with so much, you know, just completely volatile interviews, affair scandals, drinking charges. This is just one other kind of 
notch on his belt, I guess. And when I saw this footage come through on Friday afternoon last week, my first instinct was to think it was really quite funny. Like, you know, this is what this man is kind of known to Australia for and like just just completely chaotic behaviour. And as I was looking at it with my partner the next morning, we were having a chuckle and, you know, obviously there's also that that sense of what the fuck is he actually doing and how incredibly embarrassing. But ultimately I did find it quite humorous. Like he's lying there on the ground in Braddon, like <laughs> just <laughs> – like you wouldn't see an 18 year old doing this like it's unbelievable <laughs> and like then just remaining on the phone to his wife just like expletive laden conversation just absolutely bizarre clearly he knew it was being filmed like just no instinct in him at all to get up and walk away um and to act like a normal middle-aged man i just it, it is baffling but anyway what I then kind of came to after I had had a big laugh was the fact that it was actually quite shameful for me to have that response. And I think that that is a response that a lot of Australians have had to to this situation because Barnaby kind of epitomises that like larrikin behaviour that we condone so much in Australia, we almost like prop it up, you know, like, but it's also kind of indicative of so much that is toxic with our culture. And the fact that, you know, women are supremely on the back foot because men are given license and particularly men like Barnaby Joys, um, who's, you know, a bit colourful and a bit funny, you know, they're given license to act like this, to act like they have zero regard for their role in public life and the fact that, you know, what he's meant to be doing is representing the interests of Australia, not lying on the ground in the middle of the night, embarrassing himself. And I think, you know, women are never given the same kind of leeway. And in politics, we've we've obviously seen that. Like, you know, in this piece, I referred to the situation with Lydia Thorpe. And I know that Lydia Thorpe actually did call out Anthony Albanese as well, because Anthony Albanese's response to Barnaby's booze fest was to go, look, hands in the air, I'm not having a part of this and it's not for me to comment on, when only, you know, not so long ago he really had some some big words for Lydia Thorpe when she was filmed outside a strip club in Melbourne yelling explosively at a group of men and he told her to get some support and it was clearly unacceptable and, you know, really quite, strong condemnation. In 2021, National Senator Sam McMahon also lost her pre-selection race just days after accusation reared that she'd been drunk in Parliament. So we know for women there is a different standard than what we accept for men. You know, we know that Kevin Rudd went to a New York strip club and voters loved it at the time. When Tony Abbott missed a series of key parliamentary votes in 2009 because he was drunk and passed out on a couch, we ultimately shrugged it off. And when he broke a table in his office after his election loss, we did the same. We lauded former Labor PM Bob Hawke's world record of a beer skull of a yard of ale in 11 seconds. And that admiration for that act by Bob Hawke, 40 years on, is still so strong that he has a brewing company named after him. So this is a bigger issue in Australia. And I think Jacqueline Maley 
put it really nicely in an op-ed for the City Morning Herald in 2018 and she said that like a woman would not be afforded the level of personal complexity that Joyce is. We observe his regular transgressions and rather than question or condemn them, we kind of relegate them to the wild world of Barnaby Joyce. And I also know with Albanese's words, he wouldn't have wanted to come down on on Joyce. There's a reason why he didn't take a stand emphatically against what Joyce had done, which is clearly unacceptable behaviour. Let's just like put that out there. It's just clearly unacceptable. There is no justification for acting like that. And I don't know why he actually admitted to drinking. If I was him, I probably would have tried to keep that under wraps, but he kind of joyfully went on sunrise the next day and, you know, shared the story of mixing his prescription drug with the booze. So, you know, I don't think there's like, it doesn't seem like he's actually that embarrassed about it because he's so freely kind of talking about the intricacies of it. But yeah, Albanese wouldn't have wanted to come down on him because he knows that Australians ultimately, there's a lot of them would be like, oh, well, you know, he was just having a laugh. He was just having fun. He was out with the boys. He was having a drink. And Albo is very careful to toe that line. And I hate that. I think we really need to get over that. And we really need to push for a different culture where that is not the norm. And that is not something that is like ultimately celebrated in Australia. This is a very long-winded rant for me. And I apologize, but I did feel like quite a lot about this story. And it did cause me to reflect on my own bias when I was laughing at, at those images because I wouldn't probably do the same if it was a female politician. Mm. And I think your point on Albo not speaking out against it, I think that is indicative of the double standard itself. For anyone that doesn't believe that a double standard exists for male and female politicians when it comes to this, you only have to look at the people who are actually speaking out against it. So in question time on on Monday, Labor backbencher Tanya Lawrence in her 90-second statement called out Barnaby Joyce. She was one of the only members that took the opportunity for her statement. What we have witnessed is embarrassing not just for the member nor even just for his party. It's embarrassing for every member of this parliament because we are members, we are examples to our community, young and old. We are under the spotlight and we should be acting accordingly. And if we can't, then we must also be able to understand that there isn't a single member here who is irreplaceable. And she said, our constituents are watching, the world is watching. Such mm-hmm. strong words. And she is one of the only people that are talking about it. Or, or like, yeah. there's very few women talking about it, and she's one of them. Yeah. I think what happens next will be really telling as well. Like, if he kind of skates through unharmed once again, I think it will be really <laughs> illuminating for us because come on. Like, yeah. what does he actually, what needs to happen for Barney? <laughs> to be pushed out because exactly he is clearly his head is somewhere else let's if it's not lying down in the middle of Canberra (laughs) and let me paint a picture for you so I'm from Canberra Braddon is not a quiet area like there is there is a lot of foot traffic there would have been multiple people walking past Barnaby at that point like how like what the Mm. actual is going on yeah, yeah, not good. Not good not for Not good. So to our next story today and the latest research from Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia, the HILDA research, shows some worrying signs of the decline of women's mental health. 
The results from the survey found women in Australia are more likely to work when they are feeling unwell compared to men. Almost one in five women reported working when they were physically unwell, while 16.8% of employed men said they worked while feeling physically unwell. Roughly the same number of women reported working when they were mentally unwell, while just 11.1% of men did the same. There were so many other concerning findings from this survey, including higher rates of loneliness and psychological distress, particularly for those aged 15 to 24, which I think is really something we need to unpack. Liv, what do you think? What did you make from from this report? So I think firstly, with the findings about women going to work when they feel unwell, whether it's physically unwell, mentally unwell, it goes back to what we talk a lot about at Women's Agenda, what we report a lot about, and there's tons of research out there showing that women are just always on the back foot in work or they at least feel that they're on the back foot because it's almost like we have something to prove, like we are good at our job, we're committed and we have to go the extra mile even if it means coming to work when we're not well. So I think that's like, you know, nothing new. The loneliness thing is concerning and look, I am in that age bracket, 15 to 24 year olds, and I think that it's really hard to meet people. I moved to Sydney two years ago and I found it really difficult to meet people coming out of COVID. Mm. I found it really hard to make friends. That might be indicative of the world that we live in, the digital world that we live in. So I kind of understand those findings about loneliness and psychological distress because we just like we live in a world where we work from home, we like we spend a lot of time on our own. And even when we go out, we like listen to music or we're just like attached yeah. to our phones. Podcasts, yeah. Podcasts. So yeah, it's it's not really surprising that that finding either. What what do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I mean I don't think it's surprising. I think it's concerning, um, very concerning. I think COVID really did such a number on so many people and particularly for young people, you know, like you would have been kind of going through university. There's Mm. like such a lot going on that you were missing out on during that that COVID period and people in your your age group. I should just say though that Liv is not 15 years old. We are not (laughs) exploiting young people. She's close, <laughs> She's closer to the other end. Um, I'm on the fringe, yes. <laughs> but, um, but like, I, yeah, I think that the full impacts of COVID won't really be known to us for quite a long time, but this is kind of the start of it. And I, I do think that, you know, we're going to see more of this, unfortunately. I also think, you know, as you say, the world we're living in, this really tech oriented world where people are so hooked onto their devices all the time and I know I sound like such a boomer right now (laughs) but I do I, I worry about it you know I think like I work from home by myself when I get out like I do try to to have a coffee with a friend kind of once a day but there are days where I am just at my computer and that's all I'm doing is working and then I might go for a solitary walk by myself, might listen to a podcast, but it is quite an isolated world that we're living in and I am not surprised to see that, yeah, the, the effects of that are coming through. I also think there's just this huge, what this like, report shows as well is like this huge tendency of women to put their health on the back burner, which I think points to the fact that we have so much on our plates at any one time. And I know like, you know, from my own experience, I will book in health appointments for my kids. I'll book them for my partner. 
I will rarely stop to look at myself and go like, what's going on with you? And there have been moments in my life for sure. Like, you know, post my first baby, I think I was dealing with quite bad depression and had really terrible insomnia. And I was just not taking that issue seriously. When we don't take those issues seriously and we don't seek the help we need and we don't take the time we need, things exacerbate, things get much, much worse. And I think the mental health crisis for women is so nuanced and complex and there are so many kind of issues at play here. And, you know, a lot of it boils down to the fact that women are just contending with too much as well. So the idea that women can have it all, they can have the job, they can have the family, they can have everything can actually be quite dangerous because then we're pressured to chase it all. Yeah, absolutely. With not with no supports in place that are dealt to our male counterparts. So totally. Yeah, it is a really problematic trope that persists because yeah, women are expected to do it all, but we're expected to do it all with the same systemic barriers that are still in place and it's not Mm -hmm. feasible and clearly there are other things at play now you know post-pandemic heavily tech oriented world rapidly evolving technology there are lots of different things that are coming into effect that are going to exacerbate this crisis so we really need to work out some real solutions and throw the funding and resources at this that is required to the final story of the day Liv and this has been we've really gotten through them today um (laughs) making quick work Um, a team from the Harvard Business School conducted research into job advertisements, finding women are less likely than men to apply for higher return and more challenging jobs unless they meet every single qualification. The researchers said that vague language in job ads are pushing these talented and qualified women away from applying for their role. This is quite interesting because this is this is something that we've heard for a number of years. You know, I, I've heard this um, statistic often about how women don't apply for roles unless they feel like they're 100% qualified. But this is an interesting skew in that the researchers are looking at the fact that the job ads are actually the reason why women aren't applying rather than women kind of having some kind of confidence deficit or, or something like that. So Liv, what was your take on this? It's interesting, like the vague language idea. Who's writing these ads? Is it people who aren't thinking about those particularly women who will look at a job ad and think and you know tick off what they're qualified for what Mm. they can do etc so that's interesting or is it you know is it AI that is writing these is it technology that are writing these job ads that don't have that understanding that people will tick off you Mm. know um and and take everything in a job ad um yeah I think down to the letter yeah I think it's really weird in, yeah. in a sense because like I mean if it is if this is a way for employers to try to you know prohibit women from coming forward for these roles because they were saying that these are in stereotypically male-dominated domains that this yeah. is this like generic vague language is used within job ads I don't know what they're necessarily trying to achieve here because if women are looking for specifics within a job role 
to make sure that it aligns with what their expertise is. Surely that's what you want as an employer. You want someone to go, hey, I'm actually really qualified for this. You know, like I don't know how you could think that you're getting the talent for that role right if you are framing it like that. It's just really bizarre. But, yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting to know whether it's human humans that are writing these <laughs> ads or if it's AI now and, and yeah. um, you know, whether that's just another kind of prohibitive element of AI that we need to address moving forward because, I mean, obviously we already have an issue with male-dominated industries and the lack of, of women being able to kind of get through there. So I also think I know the researchers are pointing out the vague language of these job ads. And I just think that the vaguer the language is, the less confident women will be to apply for those jobs because they might not see that qualification or that skill or whatever and think it's not for them. Whereas men or people who are overconfident might say, oh yeah, like that, I could make that work. Yeah. And, and men are kind of, in this working world that we live in, men are more encouraged to absolutely yeah yeah develop confidence whereas women are told that that might hinder them from from accessing those I jobs. think that's that, that that's possibly an element of I think there's definitely an element of men being overconfident in general <laughs> across all yeah. aspects of life let's be real um yeah. but I I I don't know I don't know if it's a confidence issue with women like I think mm. about that and I'm like if I saw a job ad that was just like super vague why what would compel me to apply for it um, maybe it's yeah. just that men are more basic, you know, like they don't <laughs> give a shit. Women actually <laughs> care about what we're applying for. That is um, such a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to yeah. go with that. Um, I like it. Liv, on that note of men being basic, let's wrap this episode up <laughs> for the week. I have really enjoyed um, doing this with you today. So thank you very much for being here. And thank you to everyone for listening to The Crux, Women's Agenda's weekly podcast. A reminder, you can subscribe to our lunchtime daily newsletter and check out all our stories on site. Thank you for listening. <laughs>